This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All righty, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to see you all. This is our Purim special. We are now the Thursday before Purim, and we are going to be learning instead of about the Parsha, we're going to be learning about the Purim. We got the pizza <laughs> and all the other uh, snacks. So thank you to all of you for coming out, whether you're here in person. Yashikach to you. Please give yourselves a very warm round of applause. Like, 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 you, like it might be the only one you got today. One more round of applause. Give it, there we go. Okay. And uh, I want to thank you if you're on Zoom. You can give yourself a warm round of applause, but you're on mute, so I can't hear you. Okay, but please do. Give yourself a warm, warm round of applause. And if you're watching this later on Torah Anytime, or listening to it on Spotify, or Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts, under the name Jewish Living with Burnham, please give yourself a round of applause and a pat on the back. Alrighty! I also want to thank the amazing staff of Yeshua Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for setting up these beautiful lunch and learns, and I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, it's the largest yeshiva in the world, the largest repository of Torah learning in the world. Ten, over 10 million hours were downloaded and learned last year, more than any yeshiva probably in the world. So, big thank you to them as well. Okay, we got Purim coming up, and I want to tell you, on one hand, you guys give me anxiety. Now you're saying, we're pretty nice people, we're friendly. We don't throw stuff at you when you say stories we don't like. Exactly. We don't, we don't throw old uh, tomatoes at you when you say corny dad jokes. You know, like, why do, why do we give you, why do, why do you guys give me anxiety? The answer is because I have such a hush of a kahila kadosha, such a holy congregation that I'll be speaking before, I feel the obligation to try to come up with a new perspective on each holiday, right? If you have Purim coming up. This year is Perm 5783. Can't just teach the same Torah as Perm 5782 or Perm 5781 or Perm 5780. So I feel an enormous amount of pressure. Well in advance of Perm, I'm trying to think of what is a new perspective, a new idea we can share this year for Perm because we've got a very Cheshavah audience, a very, very holy and special group. So that's why you give me anxiety. On the other hand, it's good anxiety because you hold my feet to the fire. So today I was, <laughs> this is down to the wire. It's not like I haven't been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for a while and perusing. It really only gelled today about an hour ago. So this Torah, when I say it's fresh, it is hot out of the stone oven fresh, which means it also might be incredibly wrong. In case you feel that way, please let me know after class and I'll strike it from the record. Alrighty, so what is Purim all about? Now, we're all familiar with the most used, jaded joke in the entire Jewish plethora of used, jaded jokes. This joke is worse than the one about the guy who goes over the waiter to the three ladies in Florida and says, Ladies, is anything okay today? That's like a famous joke. We've all heard that one. This one's worse. This one's every Jewish holiday is... They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. That one has been said. If you've heard that any less than 20,000 times, <laughs> no, if you've heard it less than 20 times, you're, not, you're, you're living in, in a remote area of, of Australia. In any case, there is some truth to that, though. And specifically when it comes to Purim, Purim is a holiday where not only is it just one where we survived. Remember, it's not like we didn't survive and win back our territory. At least in Hanukkah, right? In Hanukkah, the Greeks had taken over the temple. And they destroyed us. They took over, literally took over our base at Migdash, our holy temple, filled it with idols. And we won it back. We won back our territory. We won back self-sovereignty, right? We drove the imperialist forces out of our land. In this case, we didn't get a chance to do that. We just, we survived. We didn't die. They were going to kill us, and we didn't die. It's like, what is it? Not only that, Purim is such a holiday that the sages tell us that even after Mashiach comes, when so many of the other holidays will be gone, because the miracles 
of the final geula, the miracles of the final redemption will be so great that we're not going to talk about the miracles from Exodus, the splitting of the sea, the frogs, the lice, the pestilence, the hail, the boils. Those things will be like, oh, whatever. That was like the mini display of fireworks that you see in your backyard from some kid in the park. By the time the Mashiach comes, the miracles are going to be like, the grand finale at you know D- Disney uh, Walt Disney World on their 50th anniversary when they've got a million dollars worth of fireworks going up at one time. You're not going to talk about oh yeah, but in Oak Park also in the uh, at the park over there, this kid was throwing off fireworks. This is, there's not going to be any comparison. <clears throat> so the final Geula will be such a great redemptive light, so many incredible miracles that we're not going to talk about Pesach anymore. <laughs> But we're still going to talk about Purim. The Megillah tells us we're not going to stop talking about Purim. So what exactly is so great about Purim that we're going to still be talking about it even after we have this incredible redemptions with great miracles? What will be the message that will carry on to eternity? Why do we get drunk on Purim? And many of you are thinking, I don't, Rabbi. Okay? I don't. You do. I don't. That, that may be true. Why do I get drunk? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. What's the idea of getting drunk and dressed up? Mordecai and Haman. We can't tell the difference between Mordecai and Haman. Exactly. What's, what's, the, what's the depth behind that? Why do we wear costumes? Okay. Let's understand a little bit about the status that the Jewish people were in when Haman hatches his evil plot to destroy the Jewish people. Haman is from the family of Amalek. Amalek always wants to destroy the Jewish people. That is their raison d'etre. That is what they did when the Jewish people were coming out of Egypt. We didn't bother anybody. We were living in a desert, a nation just recently hatched out of hundreds of years of slavery. We were a threat to nobody. And Amalek comes after us. So if you want to know why did Haman want to destroy the Jewish people, you don't need to ask that question. Haman, play is going to play. Hate is going to hate. Haman's going to try to kill the Jewish people. That's just what he does best. But he also knew that he didn't have every opportunity to do this. He also knew that Achashverosh was very apprehensive about going after the Jewish people. Because Achashverosh was no fool. It's actually a dispute in the Gemara whether Achashverosh was a fool or not. Achashverosh had some history teachers and he learned about what happened to other people who came after the Jews. There was this guy named Pharaoh who gave the Jews a hard time. Guess what happened to him? Well, his entire empire, the largest, most powerful civilization in the world, was brought to its knees with a series of horrific plagues culminating in the death of every single household losing a human being. He saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylonia who destroyed the first temple. Didn't work out really well for Nebuchadnezzar. He spent the final years of his life stark, raving mad, crawling around on all fours, eating grass and dirt. Total humiliation, degradation. Balthazar, Balshazar, the Babylonian king who dared to make a party with the holy vessels of the temple. The writing is written on the wall. That night, he's murdered in his bed. Or he's murdered by his palace guards, depending on how you learn the story. By the way, for those of you who don't know, on Torah Anytime, there's a 14-part lecture called Migilat Esther with the Mayam Loes. It's by this Rabbi Burnham from Detroit. (laughs) I highly recommend it. It's really just an amazing... It tells you... It's not not me. I'm just a voice for the Mayam Loes. The Mamloes tells you the story of Purim. Like, it's better than any, any novel you can imagine. It's, it's unbelievable. The whole story of Purim is absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. So, Achashverosh is understandably 
quite concerned about killing the Jews. Indeed, he even has an axe to grind with the Jews because he has been told by his astrologers that a Jew will succeed him on the throne. Now, of course, he doesn't realize that he's going to end up marrying Esther, who's a Jewess, which means that their child together, Darius II, will be a Jew and will succeed him on the throne. But he can't imagine there's any peaceful way in the world that a Jew's going to end up on the throne after him. He assumes the Jews are going to overthrow him. So he's got an axe to grind with the Jews, but he still won't go after the Jews because he's too afraid of the Jewish God. Until Haman comes along and he says, no, no, no. Yeshno am echad mifuzar umifurad bein ha'amim. There is a nation out there, scattered, mifuzar means scattered, umifurad, and split apart amongst the nations. And he basically says to God, when the Jews are infighting, when the Jews hate each other, that's when you can get them, because God will say, I'm not looking... You guys want to fight? Go ahead, I'm not part of this. I'm staying away from your affairs. Which indeed, of course, is what happened in the Second Temple. The Jewish people in the Second Temple were doing the mitzvahs. We, we were just fighting with each other. We had sin We had baseless hatred one for the other. And God said, I'm, I'm done. I want to focus, though, a little bit on the language here. Haman says to Achashverosh, Yesh no am echad, there is one nation... Mifuzar spread out umifurad and split. What, is, what does this mean, split? Where does he get this language from? Where else in Tanakh do we find the language of split? Does anybody know any other time in Tanakh you find the word split? Nifrad, pirud, separation. Northern kingdom. I'm asking for a specific word. That's not the word. The, the kingdoms did split from each other. That's true. But I want the word in Tanakh for splitting. Go ahead. When uh, Lot separates from Mordechai. From Aram. From Aram. He pare na me'alai. Excellent. Very good. Oh my, you know, that's so good because now I understand. I didn't even think of that. But I'm going to tell you another source that I knew and the commentary on it points out to Lot and, oh, Beautiful. Yashikoach. Rabbi David Mendelssohn. <laughs> the other verse that I was thinking of is a verse in Proverbs. Chapter 18, verse 1. You all know it by heart, I'm sure. Proverbs is one of those uh, books that has incredible wisdom, but it's over 40 chapters. So maybe for those of you who don't know Proverbs 18, 1 by heart, the verse says the following. Lita'ava yivakesh nifrad. He who isolates himself does it to pursue his own desires. Bechol toshia yiskala. He disdains all competence. Now the Gemara, by the way, translates it as it says it's referring to Lot. Because Lot says to Avram, let's separate from one another. Because Lot wants to go do whatever he wants to do. And that's why he goes to Sodom, which is the absolute capital of hedonism in the world. And he goes, he's like, I want to do my thing. And Bechol Toshia Yiskala, the Gemara there describes how his embarrassment, his humiliation, ends up being described where every year we read about how Lod had ancestral relations with his two daughters and fathered children. So, you want to go do your own thing? Your embarrassment's going to be called out at every single synagogue every year. That's how the Gemara describes it. So it's under- beautiful. Now I understand why it specifically picked the story of Lot, because there was that language, let us split. For our own desires, we isolate. I think we can all relate to the idea that when we're not following our greater self, when we're fighting, following the negative side of our desires, we isolate. Whether it physically means a person going out and doing things they shouldn't do, whether it means selfishly retreating inwards so as not to have to deal with the challenges and the realities of a relationship, we can always do that. We can always just isolate out. 
And when we do that, we're not doing that because we're following our Yetzir Tov. We're not doing that because we're following our good inclination. It's we're following our Taiva. We're following our, our desires. And again, it can be desires for, for negative things. And this world today is such an easy world to retreat and disappear and isolate out and do your own little thing. But it also refers to when we just don't engage even within our own relationships. And we just disengage. It's easier to disengage than to engage. It's easier to just retreat and just silent treatment it through it or whatever it is than actually deal with the problem. No, there's no problem. It's okay. There is a problem and it's not okay. But we're just... It's easier to deal with it this way, right? It's so much easier. Lataiva yivakesh nifrad. To our desires, we all split out and become splintered and isolated and alone. And existentially alone, too. Now, by the way, I, I actually just brought down the next verse. Not because it has anything to do with what I'm talking about. Because like, I was like, wow, this is why they called this book Proverbs. Because it's so brilliant. The next verse, again, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, really. I mean, everything can be connected, but I'm saying, like, the next verse, I just had to bring it because it's so beautiful. Wow, Yashakach, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, the wisest of all men for writing Proverbs, because the next one is, is beautiful. Lo yachpotz haksil betfuna. The fool does not desire understanding ki im behiskalos libo, but only to air his thoughts. <laughs> he's not interested in listening. He's not interested in, in, in understanding. He just wants to give his opinion. Amazing. Does that not describe our world today? The fool does not desire understanding, but only to air his thoughts. Unbelievable. Okay, but let's go back to number one. Verse one, which is the really focus over here. Lataiva Yivakesh Nifrod. When I'm following my baser desires for selfishness, for ease, for comfort, for pleasure, I am isolating. What did Haman say to Achashverosh? There's a nation that's isolated. They're mifuzar, they're scattered physically, but they're also isolated. The, the gullus of Persia and Media. There's different gullises that we suffered under. We suffered under the, the Babylonians, under the Greeks, Persians and Medians, and the Romans. Those are the four, and there's Egypt was the prototype gullus, that it contained elements of all of them. And then there's different ones, like the gullus of Yavan, for example, Greeks, that was really a gullus of the mind. It was an exile of the mind. We were living on our land, Many of us were financially thriving, but we were living in the gullus of the mind because the whole Greek philosophy and ethos took over and so many Jews left the faith. What was the gullus of Paras and Madai? It was indulgence. Overindulgence. And when we want to indulge, we end up separating out. Now let's understand the deep idea over here. You are, you are your struggles. What do I mean by that? We go to Shul on Shabbos morning. Let's imagine for a second that there's a guy standing to my right and a guy standing to my left. We're all shaking. Various speeds, you know, we've been through this before. You, you got the speed chuckler, you got the slow shuckle side to side. We're not going back there, but we've done this. You know the deal. But we're all shuckling. We all got a talus on. We all have our, it's Shimon Estray, right? We're in the beginning of the sound devotion. So we're, we're all saying the sound devotion. None of us are talking. What's differentiating us? We all look the same. What? Problems. Our problems, exactly. What it took for us to overcome to get there. We're all there now. But what did it take for me to get there? What did I have to overcome? What traumas? What pain? What challenge? What suffering? And what, got, what challenges and suffering did the guy to my left have to go through? And the guy to my right? One of them may have suffered from 
intense intellectual limitations that he had to overcome. One of them had had great physical limitations. One may have great emotional and trauma. All kinds of different challenges. We're all sitting there going like this. Three of us, you look at us, you say they're all the same. No, they're not. They all went through such incredible different challenges. And that's what caused them to get there. Now, when we have troubles and traumas, and we all have that, there's two ways we can respond. You can retreat inwards. You can just retreat. I just don't, it's too much. It's too difficult. I'm just not going to engage. And then, I'll take care of myself. I'll do whatever's going to make me happy right now. That's what we call, Lita'ava yivakesh nifrad. He who isolates himself just pursues his own desires. I don't really want to fight. I've been through too much. It's not fair. Why did God make me like this? Why did God make me go through this? Why did God give me this? It's not, I, I, I can't. I'm just going to, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out on the fight. I'll just go do whatever. I'm going to do me for a while. And when I go do me, who knows where I end up? Dark places. What's the alternative? The alternative, I reach out. I connect. Instead of withdrawing, my inclination tells me, just withdraw. Just it's not fair. You've been too much has been given to you. There's too much on your plate. You didn't ask for this. Just withdraw and go do you. Self-care, self-love, whatever you want to do for yourself. The other approach is no. I'm going to overcome this. And ironically, if the if the retreat message is go retreat to yourself, just take care of yourself, do whatever you want, whatever, don't worry. The opposite is reach out. Reach out and help. Reach out and give. Reach out and do for others. Generally speaking, generally speaking, again, generally, and by the way, this is not at all, if someone, hold on, let me first uh, make an amazing blessing to the good Lord above for creating all beverages, ubetocham, Coke Zero. Baruch Atah Bidvarom. This is, God forbid, not me saying that if you have deep traumas, then don't worry, don't seek any kind of mental health professionals or whatever it is. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that that is the professional things that you need to work out to work through your traumas. Great. But what I'm saying is, is that the opposite of retreating in and disappearing and becoming absorbed in my own Self, my own self-pity, my own self-indulgence, my own I'll take care of me, however it comes out, is reaching out. Generally speaking, if someone's been through great difficulty and great trauma, that means they have a fire burning inside. A deep, intense fire. If they keep it all inside, it burns their insides. The trick is to be able to open up that door and use that fire to heat, to warm others. Okay? If you keep it all inside, there's so much you've been through, so much challenge, so much difficulty, if you just keep it all bottled inside, you burn yourself from the inside. The trick is to open up and warm others with it. So you can retreat inwards, or you can go outwards. Connect with others. Build others. Do for others. When God gave the Jewish people the Torah, the sages tell us that He overturned Mount Sinai over us like a barrel. The words are, Kofa Alehem Har Kigigis. Hashem held, we usually say when we teach it in school, we say Hashem held the mountain over them like, uh, held the mountain over them and said, if you accept the Torah, good. If not, 
he'll be buried there. You actually read the exact statement. If you read the exact statement, it says, Kafa alem har kigigis. He held the mountain over them like a gigis. A gigis is a barrel. So if you had in your mind a visualization of the mountain being held over them, and they're all standing there underneath, and you could see them standing there, and the mountain's like hovering over them, rework it in your mind. Because a barrel closes over it, right? If I, uh, I have another cup here. If you have a cup, and you put the cup like a barrel over the fist, you don't see the fist anymore. It surrounded them. It encapsulated them in this undermountain space. And Hashem says to them, if you accept the Torah, good. If not, Shum there will be your burial. If God meant under the mountain, He should have said, if God meant, I'm holding the mountain over you, if you accept the Torah, good. If not, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'll just leave it there, and you won't get out, and you'll eventually run out of food, and you'll die of starvation, or I'll be nice, and I'll let the mountain crumble over you, and you'll just die right now. And he didn't say that. Then he would say, if you don't accept the Torah, here's where you're going to die. But that's not what he says. He says, there will be your burial. Where? The answer is, for every single person, it's a different shum. For every single person, it's a different place where you're going to end up. If you don't accept the Torah, if you don't learn from the Torah, the Torah is a guidebook that teaches us to connect and reach out. That teaches us to use all of our kochos, all of our potentials, but also all of our struggles and all of our pain to use it to help others. That's what the Torah is there for. The Torah is not there for some fantasy world. The Torah is there for a world in which people go through suffering and pain and trauma and abuse and is saying to you, if you accept this book, it will teach you how to overcome all the traumas. It will teach you how to overcome all the challenges. It will teach you how to overcome all your taivas. It will teach you how to do that how? By connecting out to each other and connecting up to God. If you do that, then you will be redeemed. If not, you'll die a lonely death. Shum, somewhere. Everyone's got their own place. Everyone scatters out from there on forever. If you are together like you are right now, I've captured you in here under the mountain. You're all clumped together. You're all in it together. That is your success. But once you start splitting out and going off, each person to his own corner, each person following their own desires to whatever ends it ends up, you end up having all these different identities and realities and you all end up alone. Deeply alone. Deeply vulnerable. Haman is saying to Achashverosh, the Jewish people are not just physically scattered. They are split. They are isolated. They are alone. They're not following the Torah, they're following Lataiva Yavakesh Nifrod. They're ty- they're following the again the, the language here. Yeshno Amachad Mifuzar or Mifurad. Umifurad, that same language is Lataiva Yavakesh Nifrod. They're in the gullus of Paras and Madai, which is the gullus of absolute hedonism. And each one of them is indulging in their own ways. And they're all over the place. Let's understand how this works. What started the whole crisis? What started the crisis was this, the, the Feast of Achashverosh. The Feast of Achashverosh. Now let me ask you a question. People go to a party, it looks like they're having a great time. They're all together. They're all together. Five guys, they all go to the bar together. They get drunk together. It looks amazing. I want to show you guys how it's so... (laughs) Everything is the opposite of what it looks like. I want to show you the Torah way, and I want to show you the Lataiva Yivakesh Nifrad way. When each person is seeking out their own desires, they end up isolating themselves. You walk into a base medrash, in the middle of first seder. You walk into a yeshiva, where people are studying, and the middle of first seder. First seder is the the, the uh, study session that goes usually from about nine thirty to one one thirty. Okay, that's there. People coming in, they're coming in with full strength. 
right? They got a good night of sleep, hopefully. They got up in the morning. They daven chakras. They had some breakfast. And they are on full strength. So you walk into this base Medrash at 10.30 a.m., okay? And there are, there's 800 people in the base Medrash. There's certain base Medrash on Lakewood and Eretz Yisrael and Israel. You walk in and there's 800 people studying. Or you walk into a small yeshiva right here on Greenfield. Yeshiva Gdola, maybe 250 people studying. It's the middle of first Seder. And what do you hear? You hear the sounds of yelling and screaming. And if you were to draw close, you hear this guy saying, What are you talking about? That's not what the Ritva is saying. How do you, how do you learn like that? No, what the Ritva is saying over here is like this. Like, no, you're not. You, that's not, not you, you, you have no idea what you're saying. What are you talking about? And they're arguing, they're screaming, they're yelling at each other. You're like, wow. <laughs> These yeshiva students, they sure know how to hate on one another. They're yelling and they're screaming at one another and they're fighting. What does the Gemara have to say about this? What does the Gemara have to say about this? And this, by the way, you can walk into any yeshiva anywhere around the world. Walk in the middle of first seder, you'll see people screaming and yelling at each other. Like, whoa, what's with all the anger, guys? All right, let's make peace. How do you make the peace sign? Whatever. <laughs> let's get some hippies over here. Let's break out some guitars. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's, let's be friends. Says the Gemara in Kiddushin, Daflamid Amid Bays. Page 30b. My es oivim bashar. What does the verse mean when it says the Jewish people will be enemies at the gate? Even a father and his son who are learning Torah. Vitalmido, a Rebbe and his student who are learning Torah. bashar echad. They're sitting and learning Torah in one gate. They're learning in one base marriage together. Nasim oivim ze'ezeh. They become haters of one another. What are you talking about? I can't believe you're learning this. It's not right. Look, I'm going to show you right over here. Look at what the words say. The words say, Dafka, when you do this. And I'm saying, no, you're so wrong. It's not true. What do you say? They become enemies of one another. Continues the Gemara. Ve'enam zazim misham nasim oivim ze'ezeh. But they don't leave the base Medrash until they become lovers of one another, best friends for one another. Watch what happens. Watch what happens at a yeshiva. They're arguing, they're screaming at each other for three hours straight, three and a half hours straight, and then it's time for mincha, they daven next to each other. And I, let me give you a ride home. What a great geshmaka seder that was this morning. Oh, you're the best chavrusa. I love you, man. <laughs> what? You're just screaming and yelling at one another. And at the end, you're saying, oh, you're the, you're the best Chavruz. You're amazing. I really appreciate it. Today was a great Seder. Thank you so much. What happens? The dynamics are, they both are there for one absolute goal. Truth. And the yeshiva is a warfare arena for the truth. What do I want more than anything? Not to be right. To find the truth. What do you want more than anything? Not to be right. To find the truth. So we'll argue and we'll scream and we'll yell and I'll prove it to you from here and I'll prove it to you from there and we can't figure it out. We go to another person and he says that I'm right. He says that you're right. It's like, ah, oh, look at me. I was right. No. Oh, okay. That's, so that's what Shad is. That's how you understand this piece of Gemara. That's how you understand this Tysus. That's how you understand this Rubik Eger. That's how you understand. You under, oh, that's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to understand. There's no winners and losers. And I walk out of the Shiva and I'm so happy to have you as a Chavrusa because I desperately want truth. And if you were just a compliant guy saying, yeah, uh huh, okay, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't get to the truth. There's a story in the Gemara about Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish. Rabbi Yochanan ends up dying. Different story for a different time, how, how he dies. Rabbi Yochanan has no chavrusa. They, they give him a new chavrusa. Rabbi Yochanan says, Ugh, I can't do this. When I learned with Rabbi Lakish, everything that I said, he would find me 16 proofs, 24 proofs against it. Now, I'm learning with this new chavrusa. Everything I say, he gives me proofs that I'm right. I don't, I don't need somebody to prove that I'm right. I need somebody to prove that I'm wrong so I can find the truth. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't want somebody who's a yes-sayer. And he literally says, he says I, can't, I can't continue on. He, ends up, he, like, he can't live anymore and he dies. He just can't live without a chavrusa. He can't live without somebody who's going to help him find the truth. So even though you look at what a yeshiva looks like, and they're screaming and yelling at each other, 
They become the best of friends because we're both in the trenches together fighting for the truth. Let's go to a party now. Let's go to a bar on Saturday night. Five friends walk in. They all start getting drunk together. By the time the night is over, this one's here, this one's here, this one's this one. There's, there's a couple got a bloody nose. They got into a bar fight. There's a dead woman named Vashti on the floor. I'm like, how did that happen? I don't know. We just got drunk and boom, there's, there's a, a dead woman on the floor. <laughs> you wake up. What a hangover, man. Wow. So in the beginning, you look at them. It looks like they're the best friends, right? They're having the greatest time. They're starting to drink together. Oh, you're the best. Oh, you're the best. Oh, you're the best. Let's do another shot. Oh, you're the best. But by the time the evening is over, what did you say about me? Oh, why did you, you talk to this person? Boom, they start fighting. And before you know it, they're pulling out the brass knuckles. Boom. Boom. So, one group looks, and even, by the way, even if there's not fighting, even if the bar scene, it's not like you're going to say, Rabbi, come on. Not every bar scene ends with uh, broken noses and a dead woman on the floor, right? And that's true. Only 20%. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How often, though, at the end of a morning, by the next morning, when people are doing their walk of shame back around campus all by themselves, embarrassed, alone, not feeling great about themselves. Friends got to go back and fight. How come you did this? How come you left with this person last night? How come you did that? It's all this, like, it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't end well. Because everyone's in there for themselves. They're not there for the truth. They're not fighting for the truth. Everyone's in there for themselves. The pseudo of Achashverosh is an exact example of this. On the outside, it looks like we're going to all have a great time together. We're going to indulge. By the end of the party, there's a dead woman on the floor. So that is what the suit of Achashverosh looks like. Now, how, how do we fix this? The way we fix this is what Esther says to Mordechai. When Mordechai comes and says, we've got disasters all over the place, we're going to be wiped out, Esther right away diagnoses it and says, Lech Kenos as called HaYehudim. Go gather the Jews together. You know what the problem is? We are in danger because we've been following our desires and when we follow our desires, we isolate out, we retreat, we disengage, we pull back from one another. There's a nation that is split. For our desires, we split. You want to be together now? Go gather all the Jews together. It's the only way we're going to have success now is if we use our pain, we use our trauma, and we use it to link up with one another and gather together physically, spiritually, emotionally. And indeed, that's what happens. We go gather in the Bate Knesios and the Bate Midrashos. We gather in the synagogues and the shoals, and we start to see each other for who we are. We start to recognize that we're... Why was I hating on this person? They're broken? I'm broken too. We're all broken. But look what happens when we allow ourselves to let go of one another because of our brokenness. We become easy targets, easy marks. We're vulnerable. We're isolated. And we connect back. The Jewish people re-accept the Torah upon themselves. And this time they do it willingly. When we were at Mount Sinai, Hashem put the Torah around the, the mountain around us like a barrel, and He said, look guys, this is how it's going to work. If you're together like you're in this barrel right now, it's going to work. And if you try to split out and splinter out, if everyone's going to follow their own desires, you're going to end up in a million different places, and none of you are going to be near each other. You're going to, all be, you're, you're going to find your terminal end. But by the story of Purim, we recognize, not because God told us, that we need to be together to be successful, but because we saw with our own eyes, wow, God was right the whole time. When we're in pain and suffering, if we retreat further inwards, we get lost. If we reach out and connect and lift up others, we survive and thrive. We accept it upon ourselves, the Torah, not because God said you have to, but because we saw with our own eyes the power of what a Jew is when another Jew connects and we connect and we connect and we link up and lech kenos and we gather in our synagogues and connect with one another and connect with God. 
There we accepted because he told us. Here we accepted because we lived it. Because we lived that experience. And that's why Purim is a holiday for forever and forever. This is not a standard. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's party. It's They tried to kill us. We didn't realize that when we're all following our own little desires, our own petty little selfishnesses, we end up isolating out and splitting out and we become vulnerable. And if only we gather together and see each other for the friends that we are, the brothers and sisters that we are, see God for who He is, our Father in Heaven, we're going to be okay. We can get out of anything. I want to tell you about one of my uh, one of my heroes. There's a woman who lives in a place called Bayswater, New York. Her name is Jessica Tsur, and I actually called her right before this class. I said, "Is it okay if I use your name?" Her name is Jessica Tsur. Now, Jessica Tsur saw that there were some real challenges in her in her community. The Bayswater community is a regular sort of, you know, I don't want to say working class, whatever, working class kind of community. It's right next to the five towns. The five towns are generally a more wealthy, affluent community. And people always think, I'm sure the people in Bayswater are taken care of because they live right next to the five towns. But a lot of people have financial struggles, as you're going to have in, in, a, in a community. Specifically, what she noticed was a couple things. Number one, she noticed that you had a lot of families where there's two parents working. Now, when two parents are working and there's school, that's great. You send the kids off to school in the morning. Mom goes to work. Dad goes to work. Come back. Okay, maybe the mom leaves a little early. Dad leaves a little early. Gets home at 4.30, 4 o'clock, whatever it is. And then comes Summer. 104 days of summer vacation. Okay, guys, I'm Phineas and Ferb. No one knows it's going to be summer. Okay, fine. 104 days of summer vacation. And parents who both work are like, OMG, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Now, there is this thing called summer camp. But let me tell you a little secret about summer camp it ain't cheap. And it generally ain't subsidized either. School, you go to private school, they'll give you some kind of tuition breaks. Camp's like, you don't got to come to camp, but you actually do need to go to camp. If you have two parents who are working, they don't have a choice. That's one thing that Jessica Tsur noticed. She also noticed another issue. Jewish clothing is insanely expensive. Insanely expensive. There are stores that you could walk into, and the clothing there, of course, is modest. It's just not modestly priced. (laughs) It's actually quite brazenly priced. (laughs) Ridiculously priced. But the problem is, it's a captive audience. They can't just go into Old Navy and buy a wardrobe, because nothing in Old Navy is modest. It's modestly priced. It's just not modest. So there's this dislocation in the market. You either have clothing that's modest but brazenly priced or clothing that's brazen but modestly priced. And it really creates an immense burden on the Jewish community. If a family is a family of seven, eight children, the amount of money that clothing alone, and I'm talking about like religious, modest clothing, it's, it's astronomical. And remember, this is a, a community... That wears very, you know, they wear, you know, you speak to the average working person, he may have one suit in his closet that he takes out like once every two, three years, right? In the Jewish community, we wear suits not once, there's yumtif and Shabbos and three day yumtif and two day yumtifs, and for the women, the dresses and the, and the robes. It's never ending. Like the needs are way more. Not only does it have to be modest clothing, but we're constantly changing costume from casual to Rosh Chodesh to, to Shabbos clothing to Matzah Shabbos clothing. It's like, you know, shoes and school shoes. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's never ending. So listen to this amazing woman. She starts reaching out to stores. Because also, I forgot one more thing also. Jewish fashion is fast fashion. Not like Shane, which is like fast fashion instead of Zara's. 
It's called fast fashion because they quickly change over their inventory and it's quick and it's cheap. It's fast because everything styles change so fast and it's still expensive. So she started reaching out to stores and saying, can I get your last year stuff? Can I get your, you know, can I get your, you know, inventory? I'll get you, a, you know, some kind of tax write-off. And she opened up a store in her, at the time it was in her house. Now she actually, her, you have to give an incredible credit to her husband as well. Because her husband gave up their garage and they have this a store in their garage. And it's filled with beautiful clothing and people come. And I think she actually, so some, some she, she charges. You know, everything's like, $2, $5, instead of being $20, $50, $100. So there is a charge. It's super minimal. People can come. They actually pay at the end. They feel like I'm, I'm having a store experience. And then she takes all that money and she uses that to send kids to camp in the summer. Is that unbelievable? No, that's unbelievable! That is absolutely unbelievable! What if I told you, though... That Jessica Tsor struggles intensely from mental health challenges and struggles to see her own value. So much so that she's, she's actually created another organization called catchsupport.org. You can look it up online, find it. I think it's mostly for women who are dealing with intense... The amount of people in any community who are dealing with intense mental health issues, extreme anxiety, the inability to talk in front of other people or or eat in front of other people or be social in front of other people, extreme anxiety, suicidality, you would have no idea. You would have no idea how many people are just walking amongst us but suffering deeply inside and don't feel like they have anyone to reach out to. And Jessica was one of those people. That's hard to believe. She's doing so much for everybody in the world. She's doing so much. She's a beacon of, of kindness and, and good in the world. But that is how mental health works. It doesn't really have necessarily rhyme or reason or footing in reality. But it needs to be dealt with. But instead of just retreating inside, Jessica Tsor has just lit up and taken all the pain and suffering and just used it to warm others with clothing with summer camp and now with catchsupport.org with mental health assistance the amount of people every time she does an open house where she's incredibly brave she'll be, she's willing to talk about her own struggles she says she gets a flood of phone calls the next day of women who maybe haven't told anybody in their world. By the way, it's, it's a very, very worthy organization. Catchsupport.org. Catchsupport.org. This is the concept, though. Now, of course, her example is an, an absolutely extreme example on every front. On the amount of challenge she's facing and on the amount of unbelievable good that she's doing but this is the message of Purim the message of Purim is don't be lonely be lively don't be lonely reach out, connect Lech Kenos, go gather together. Every one of the mitzvahs of Purim is a mitzvah that needs to be done publicly. What are the four mitzvahs of Purim? Mikra Megillah, reading of the Megillah, which is done in a minion. You have to. You can't just listen to it on your own. You can't read it in your own. You got to go to shul. You have to hear it with a minion. Mishlorach Manos, giving of gifts of food one to another. Giving. Matanos Lavionim, giving gifts of poor to the needy, food, money, food so they can, not, sorry, not food, money, so they can buy food and have what they need. And of course, Mishta Purim, the, the, the Purim feast. Gather together, go to different people's houses, join together with a few different families, go have a party, get drunk. 
I saw the most beautiful little tiny tidbit from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Why do we get dressed up on Purim? Because what happens on Purim, everyone's dressed up, this guy's dressed up as a mailman, this guy's dressed up as a, you know, as a, a Rastafarian, this guy's dressed up as a, uh, you know, as a, a poodle, I don't know, whatever, like everyone's dressed up, and sometimes you see a guy, you don't even, you're not really sure, you know he's dressed up, you have just no idea what he's dressed up as, you know, this guy's dressed up as a Q-tip, but you know that it's all just dress up, it's not who they are, I know this guy the whole year, he's not actually, by the way, I want you to know, this guy's not really a Q-tip, <laughs> we dressed up a Q-tip a couple years ago, it's a very easy costume, wear white scrub pants, white sweatshirt, and a big white puffy uh, clown clown wig. And there, there you go, you're a Q-tip. But if someone sees me walking down the street, they're like, that's not really a Q-tip, that's, that's actually Lady Burnham. Burnham is about a time of reconciliation. Lech Kenos, go gather together. There's people in our community. They say hurtful things. They're cynical. They're angry. They've offended you. That's not who they are. It's just the costume they wear. See that reality. Reach out the hand. You've been hurt. You've been burned. You've been traumatized. Reach out. Lech Kenosis Kola Yehudim. When the Jews recognize that if we're feeling pain, if we're feeling suffering, if we're feeling lonely, if we're feeling isolated, if we're feeling like we're not connected, if we feel like we're existentially alone, even though we're surrounded by people, the solution is not to retreat further inward. Then we become a nation that's Amachan, Mifuzar, Mifurad. We're scattered and isolated. But if we can just reach out, Lech Kenos, use that feeling to reach out to another. They're feeling the same way as you. Connect. Build it together, then we can bring the greatest geula of Lech Kenos as Kala Yehudim. Gather together, be together, daven together, eat meals together, be joyful together. Get a little bit drunk. You know why? Because when you're drunk, you're able to get to that place where the little stupid things that you said don't bother me because I recognize you're just a hurt person saying things. I can't, I'm not going to let it bother me. If we can get to that place where when we feel broken, we connect with others to make ourselves whole, then we can reach any ge'ula. And may we all have an amazing Freilichel Purim together. A beautiful, happy Purim. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.